Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Archer, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Unput Downable. We celebrate and revel in those works of art and literature that are quite simply impossible to put down. So I ask my guests to choose their favorite book and one other piece of culture. It should be something that grips them and always leaves them wanting more. And I will also be offering up two of my own recommendations. In this episode, I am joined by the broadcaster journalist, who, of course, has a passionate love of politics, which she won't be able to hide. And indeed, I won't be able to always agree with her. But we will find common ground. We'll find it in our love of literature and other culture. Her talent for writing stretches from politics to comedy. Uh, some may feel that's the same thing. And in 2020, she was one of the launch presenters on UK's digital radio station, Times Radio. I am, of course, talking about Aisha Hazarika. Lovely having you on the show, Aisha. First, tell me... How are you? I'm well, Jeffrey. I'm very well. It's been a busy time with me. Lots going on, lots of media work, lots of uh, politics. Uh, how are you? I'm very well indeed. I've had my booster jab, so I'm ready for you. <laughs> what have you been doing the last few days? Well, I have just returned from uh, conference season, Jeffrey. I've been in Brighton and I've been in Manchester. So I feel slightly broken because, as you know, the conferences are quite heavy going. Well, I always loved them because it was the one chance you actually got on the ground with the people other than actually walking in their constituencies. So, no, uh, I, I'm a conference man. Of course, I did, you will remember the days when you were advising uh, two prime ministers, first Tony Blair and then Gordon Brown. It must have been very different now going to a conference as a journalist and having to report both on the party you support and both on the party you don't support rather than sitting in a quiet room saying to the prime minister, it might not be wise to say that, <laughs> Tony. No, absolutely. As a journalist, I'm 
always looking for the conflict or the row or the gaff or the drama. And when I was an advisor, I wanted everything to be as boring as possible and everybody to stick to their scripts and not cause any trouble. But of course, as a journalist, it's very different. But it's fascinating, isn't it? And it's a chance really for everybody to get together, particularly after the pandemic. And anyone connected in politics has the gift of the gab. They like chatting, you know, all the business done in the bars and the clubs very late at night. So there was a lot of fun that was had and a lot of karaoke was performed on both sides. I think karaoke could bring the two parties together. Uh, you're talking about on the stage or in the bars at a later time? Well, maybe on the stage. A lot of karaoke was going, being, was happening in the bars and the parties. Maybe they should have, instead of Prime Minister's questions, we should have like a sing-off in the House of Commons. It might be more interesting, might be more fun and illuminating. Now, my podcast is going to ask you two things, Aisha. It's going to ask you a book you found unputdownable or has lived with you or you have read more than once. A, a, a very special book in your life is the first choice. We can discuss that. And then I will tell you a special book in my life and we can discuss it. But you go first. OK, so my really special book is actually a grouping of four novels together called the Neapolitan Novels. And the first one is called My Brilliant Friend. And it's by an amazing woman, we think, called Elena Ferranti. Uh, forgive me for interrupting you. Why do you think she's a woman? Because Elena Ferranti is a secret identity. Nobody knows the real identity of this author. It's a pseudonym this author has maintained muscular privacy and has said nobody needs to know who I am they just need to know my stories and the characters and in fact this person we think it's a woman although there have been rumours that it may be a man they're privacy and their secrecy is so guarded that many journalists have tried to find out who this person is and people have really pushed back against it because I think it's a she because this person writes so intimately about the female mind but it adds to the mystery. I didn't have any doubt Aisha when I read it. She's writing about two women Two very remarkable women in their own way, one extremely clever, one extremely hardworking. I thought she caught two young women in Naples brilliantly. I agree. I think she has this brilliant way of writing about women, which really just takes you into the female mind. And as you see, the, the novel spans this amazing 50-year friendship and it's sort of born out of the kind of dust and chaos of this very poor neighbourhood where there's corruption and violence and poverty and you have these two very bright girls who form this friendship and they want to escape their background and they want to escape their poverty and it's very interesting about how their lives sort of you know they start together and then their lives kind of diverge and, and they, they weave in and out of each other's Lives And what I loved about this book is sometimes when female friendship is written about, it can be done in a, a kind of slightly saccharine way. But I felt what was so great about this book is that it was very raw. It captured complex, flawed female relationships, which 
can be full of jealousy and rivalry and insecurity. And I thought the envy and the jealousy were obvious. And I thought as they grew older, it kind of became more tense the way they parted but came back together. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of women really love about these novels because female relationships can be complicated. Female relationships are intensely close, but they can be quite flawed. And I think what was also great about these characters is that they were so layered. They had a lot of love for each other, but there was there was often kind of moments of intense conflict. And that often happens in relationships. These were not saints. These were not kind of good girls. These were interesting, complicated, red-blooded, intelligent, ambitious women. But there was also the the kind of burdens they bore as women, particularly women from poor backgrounds, violence, subjugation, not being able to be independent, having to really sort of fight to assert themselves as well. You know, very patriarchal structure, particularly from their from their neighbourhoods where there was a lot of violence, there was a lot of sort of gang, you know, structure. and Very Naples. Yes, very, very Naples. And I think that's the other great thing about the book as well. It, the four books, it captures the the really interesting time, the backdrop of of Italian politics and how the economy was changing and how society was changing as well. I felt uh, also when I was in Naples a couple of years ago, and I I read it two or three years ago, uh, she caught that brilliantly because I walked from where in theory her home was down to the waterfront, which we see so brilliantly described in the book, And I thought, wow, I'm in the middle of the book again. Uh, Can I ask you one uh, impertinent question, if I may, Aisha? Dare to ask you an impertinent question. You were invited to take one book. There are four. Did you find that one was... I mean, one is the beginning of their youth when they're both in their homes up in the hills uh, or up in the tenement blocks and not living a very good life. And it's not until book two that we really see them go their separate ways. Or are you being typical, Aisha, and going to say, I want all four books? I want all four, Geoffrey. I want it all. <laughs> I demand my right. I'm an ambitious woman. I want more for myself. And I think you have to take these books. It's almost, I felt, I didn't feel like it was four separate books, actually, because I galloped through them so much. So I started reading them on holiday a few years ago and I had come out of politics and you know what it's like in politics. I mean, you're probably sort of slightly different, but I find that I just didn't have that much time to read really good fiction. I was so busy reading politics all the time and reading newspaper articles and academic papers. I just devoured these books and I felt like it was one big book. I didn't feel like it was four separate Book. So that's why I think they count as one book. Yeah, no, I think, it, to be fair, it is one very big book because it's over 2,000 pages if you take all four. And I agree with you that it's beautifully written. She's a fine writer. And I, I think we should give great praise here, and I always do it with anyone who's had a book translated. We should give great praise to the translator Because sometimes when I read a translated book, I think, I wonder what the original's like. I didn't with this. I thought it had been done beautifully and she would be very pleased with it. Yeah, and it's interesting that she's had this long-standing relationship with this particular translator who I think also works for The New Yorker. 
and the the translation as you see it's very it's very sensitively done and it and it works really well and the other thing which i think is really interesting about her writing is that she she manages to do i think two things she's brilliant at writing with a kind of a sense of abandon on the one hand and kind of control on the other and the yarn in itself is gripping the story you know it's a page turner but it's also very intellectually satisfying as well. She's been winning prizes all over the place. And so we must now move on to my book, Aisha, which I chose. Really, it's a novella rather than a novel. It's called Reunion, and it's by a man called Fred Ullman, who actually was an artist but wanted to write this book because it was, as so often first books or novellas are very personal indeed. And although I read it, I must have been over 50 when I read it for the first time, it was an eye-opener about anti-Semitism. Because here we have a young Jewish boy who's clearly very, very clever, very bright, and doing well in his class. And along comes a German aristocrat to be in the same class. And they're most unlikely even to speak to each other, yet they end up the closest of friends. Why? Because the one thing they have in common is they're both extremely bright and therefore enjoy each other's company. I'm not going to say any more about the book. I mean, I'm fascinated to hear your view. I'm not going to say any more about the book, except that the the ending was remarkable and really woke me up to what a young Jewish person was going through in the late 1930s, the early 1940s. But more important, that there were people with very high moral standards and courage who, despite not coming from a Jewish background, had the courage to actually do something about it. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a bit of a theme, isn't there, from our from our, the last book we've discussed really bright people and, you know, friendships being born out of uh, intelligence and and that kind of connection. I have to confess, I haven't read the book, but I'm absolutely going to. I've been researching it. I mean, it looks fascinating and heartbreaking and shocking at the same time. And it does remind me of other bits of dramatic narrative which have tried to depict that kind of friendship across the divide between Germans and the and and Jews as well. I mean, it feels very timely, particularly because we are living in an era where there is a rise in anti-Semitism. We've seen it in politics. We've seen it on the left. We've also seen it in the hard right of politics as well. I'm very keen to to see it. I wonder if it has got echoes of the concept of friendship, as in the boy in the striped pajamas which is another... Ah, yes, but this was written long before yeah. The Boy in the Striped Pajama. This, is, uh, this goes back some years. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at MintMobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Number two, I should stretch your brain again. You can choose anything. You can choose a television series. You can choose a painting. You can choose a concert piece. The person listening doesn't know which field you'll go into and what you will discuss. Over to you. So I've picked a television show which has kind of mirrored my life a bit. And as you know, Jeffrey, and we do met some things on TV together, I am a real politics geek. And so the thing I have chosen is a television series, iconic political satire show. I think it's the 21st century answer to Yes Minister. I've chosen the thick of it. Well, I admire you for that, and you clearly pointed to my, very kindly, to my own era, which is about the 17th century, when, of course, I loved Yes Minister, had the privilege and honour of knowing the two main actors in it, and two very great actors they were. So I'm afraid by the time I got to your choice, you'll have to explain to me why you think it's in the same class as Yes Minister. Because... 
it's one of these things which just so brilliantly captured what life was like as a civil servant press officer and, of course, as a special advisor and life as a sort of minister or cabinet minister in a sort of lower ranking department. And what was so clever about it was that it very much coincided with the the beginning of the, the, the end of the new Labour project. So it ran from 2005 to 2012. And it just, particularly because I was working in politics at the time, I had been a civil servant, I then became a special advisor. The accuracy, and even though it was really funny, there was quite, there were episodes where it was so close to the bone for me. I was laughing, but I was also sort of dying inside because I recognised so many of the kind of turns of phrase or the like ludicrous sort of cringy situations they found themselves in. And it was had a brilliant, brilliant writing team, Amando Iannucci, Jesse Armstrong, who has written Succession and, and Veep, Simon Blackwell, brilliant, brilliant cast, Peter Capaldi, Chris Addison, Rebecca Front, Alex McQueen, brilliant, brilliant writing, brilliant cast. They actually improvised quite a lot of the, the scenes as well. And it just worked really well because I think to do satire well, it does have to be quite even handed and it has to be quite close to the truth. And they clearly spoke to a lot of people who worked within the civil service and within you know, the, the political arms of political parties. So they completely nailed all the detail brilliantly. And it captured the sort of neurosis that New Labour had, which was trying to manage the media all the time, trying to manage and micromanage the message and getting absolutely hysterical. Malcolm Tucker giving people like a hair drying if they'd had a bad outing on Newsnight. And it was so familiar because anyone who's been a minister or a political advisor or been a communications part of the civil service just recognised all that micromanaging and it was just brilliant. I don't think anything has ever come close to it and we do have a situation now where when things happen in real life people just go well that was like something out of the thick of it. As they did in my time with Yes Minister because I know uh, Margaret Thatcher didn't uh, watch a lot of television well that wasn't her style but she loved Yes, Minister. And it was, as you rightly say, like your show, written by brilliant writers and acted by two of the finest actors in our country, both who uh, won knighthoods for their performances, both, to be fair, as much on at the National Theatre as they, uh, they became famous on television. That's the irony of television. But I'm bound to ask you, how did Tony Blair and how did Gordon Brown <laughs> feel about the show? I can't imagine Gordon Brown watching it, I have to admit. I think he was probably a bit like Margaret Thatcher. He was too busy doing things. I suspect the people around him did, and particularly the people around Tony Blair. I think Tony Blair probably watched it and probably quite liked it and probably thought it was quite funny because so many of the characters were sort of based on a lot of the characters around Tony Blair. There's no doubt that Malcolm Tucker has a lot of Alistair Campbell in him. Um, you know, the the, the long-suffering um, civil servant press officer is definitely modelled and is a hybrid on actual sort of real characters. So everybody I knew who was working in Number 10 at the time and working at the Treasury, everybody watched it and everybody loved it. 
but it did have these moments which as I said were just so painful they were almost too close to the bone and there were some spin-offs as well so there was a film that was done afterwards called In the Loop where they all go on this trip to America and if you have not seen it Jeffrey it's absolutely clutch your side hilarious again there's just so many moments of truth so there's one moment where the sort of junior minister is desperate to hustle into some meeting in Washington where there are like sort of senior American politicians and he wants to make a point he wants to talk in the meeting and and a senior advisor has to tell him in no uncertain terms that he is what is known as room meat he is only there to, <laughs> to fill up the Very room. Cruel. He's there to not have an opinion. Not pre- and what was so funny is after that, after that film came out, I remember like I would I was working for my boss Harriet Harman at the time, and sometimes when we were going to a meeting, let's say with the prime minister, where basically we were just there to fill the numbers. I'd have to say to her, <laughs> "Be very clear. This meeting, two words: room meet." Yeah, the two of you, I might say. <laughs> or did you? On those meetings, I found when I had the privilege of being with Margaret Thatcher or John Major, you actually didn't say a word. You sat at the back and discussed what the Prime Minister felt afterwards. Were you the same? Yeah, definitely. There were some meetings where you were just basically there to sort of absorb what was going on. You were sort of seen but not heard. So I'm going on to my one. And this week I've chosen because I love art. There's no city on earth I've been to where I haven't been to see their gallery. It's the first thing I do. And many, many years ago, when I was in Copenhagen on a book tour, I went to the National Gallery and fell in love. Really fell in love. I mean, with one particular painting. And then I saw a lot of his paintings. Anyone listening to this podcast, I ask you to pick up your phone and look up the name Croya. And that's spelt K R O. Y-E-R, Croyer. He's a Danish painter who was born in the last century. And in fact, the piece I want you to look at is Summer Evening on the Beach, which is two ladies on the beach. And they are so elegant. It is so beautifully painted. It is now actually on the back of my phone it's a, it's a whatever you call those things you put on the back of a phone. It's now there because I, 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 I mean, you can talk about the great artists the world has ever produced. But for me, Croyer, Soroya and Tiso, although they're, and it shows a weakness in my part because they're all romantic, are the ones and they all paint women beautifully. But I think this is very special indeed and wondered what you felt about it. Well, I had to look it up and I was like, oh, what's this piece of art? And then as soon as I saw it, I knew it because it is in my parents' house and it is absolutely... You've got the original. You've got the original <laughs> in your parents' house. I mean, oh, where, where? I mean, it's only worth five million. What are you doing with the Listen, original in your parents' house? We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to... Like, just like, don't really like boast about it. It's such a beautiful painting, Jeffrey. I completely agree. I just feel instantly calm and soothed when my eyes fall upon it. And I love paintings that depict the sea. And these women do look very elegant. But the other thing I love about it is I love the light. I absolutely love the light in this picture. It's northern Danish light in the way you sometimes see it in Scotland and you see northern Scottish light. You will only get that blue 
and that change of blue from sky into sea in the very north of Denmark. Well, it's funny you say that because the light reminds me of one of my favourite places, which is Orkney, where the light is very similar to this. It's beautiful. It's an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous picture. So we're in agreement on that, although we're rarely in agreement on much more. (laughs) Can I ask, having found you out, what are you doing in life at the moment? Well, I'm very busy with my media work, Geoffrey, uh, very busy on Times Radio. I present Weekend Drive every Saturday and Sunday from four till seven on Times Radio. You have been kind enough to come on my programme. I do a real mix of news, current affairs, a lot of political analysis and culture. In an era where a lot of people are dumbing down on politics, we are nerding up on my show. So if you really like a a good, fair, robust discussion about politics, you will enjoy my show. Well, I think nerding up is a pretty good description of you, totally. (laughs) So should you want to see, hear... Listen to Aisha again, the nerd of the century. You can (laughs) capture her while she goes on television and does the papers. And she's got her own programme, as she points out, on Times Radio. And you will get all her prejudices repeated again and again. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you, Geoffrey. Thank you to my guest, Aisha Hazarika, for joining me on this episode. And don't miss out on any future episodes, so please hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Join me next time when we will try to entertain you again and perhaps surprise you with my special guest choice of book and other piece of culture. And I hope you'll forgive me for reminding you that my new book, Over My Dead Body is out now in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. I hope you enjoy it. And until next time, goodbye.